0: To a special edition of the Empire Strikes Back. We're going to do something a little bit different uh, for the next couple of episodes. What I'm going to be doing is doing a, a divisional preview where I'm going to be interviewing fans of the other teams in the AL East. So, talking to fans of the Baltimore Orioles, Toronto Blue Jays, Boston Red Sox, and the Tampa Bay Rays, and getting the perspective of the fans. Of those teams and the prospect for how they did last season and the prospects for this season maybe other players to watch out for who may uh, will come across when we play these these teams this season first off tonight um, I've got fans from the Boston Red Sox this will be a person who if you listen to other UK based podcasts for baseball is a voice you will recognize extraordinarily well And also, I've got Matt Clough from the Baltimore Orioles, both very kindly gave up 25, 30 minutes of their time. Hopefully, you'll find the interviews interesting, give you perspective on these other teams in our division and what we might face this season. That's all. Hope you enjoy. Thanks very much. So, tonight, on the first of our divisional previews, I'm very pleased to welcome what, what should be a familiar voice to you all because you've but we know him as the voice, or one of them anyway, of backflips and nerds. And we, we thought for the first of these would actually open up to our main rivals, the fan of the Boston Red Sox. Welcome to the podcast, the first Red Sox fan ever to appear on the Empire Strikes Back podcast, Mr. John McGee. How are you doing, John? I'm
1: well. Is that true, Mark? Goodness me. That is, uh, that's quite an honour. Um, I, I probably will be the first and last, but... Um, oh. Yeah, well, it's it's some privilege.
0: We don't get too many. We, we, we tend to sort of keep it within ourselves, three or four of us, and we occasionally invite others on as well. But no, we've never had anybody else from any of the teams, so we're kind of breaking out a little bit here. But it, it's good to have you on, and, and it's kind of a bit of a change because I know at the moment you're going through, you're doing 30-divisional previews with beat writers in the States, and we're kind of turning the tables on you here, so we're kind of interviewing you about the Red Sox prospects this season. So yeah, we appreciate it's, it's, you doing this.
1: It's been a nice break. I, I haven't had to look at roster resource for a team that I have no idea who anyone plays for. Uh, so it's been, yeah, it's been, it's nice to be doing it on this side of things, Mark. So yeah, looking forward to
0: talking. Okay, so first of all, John, tell us how you got in into baseball, and then maybe more specifically about how you formed Batflips and Nerds, and especially why the Red Sox of all teams, John.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I could say the same for you with the Yankees, Mark, but, you know, we could be here all night. It would be like Statler and Waldorf. And, and that's yeah. not really what your uh, listeners are here for. So, I mean, my, my story with baseball is is like the classic British baseball fan story insofar as, you know, I found it through um, Johnny and Josh and Dave Langell on Channel 5. So I I was a, a student in the early 2000s when Baseball on 5 was uh, in, its, in its heyday. Uh, you know, where we were all watching it on those little like portable TVs with wire aerials and just constantly manipulating it to try and see if you could actually see Chipper Jones swinging a bat as opposed to just, you know, snowy pictures. So that, that's how I got into baseball. And I, I you know, m- my time at university, I've written about it before. I had a, a bit of a strange time at university. Uh, you know, it was, it's very different from where I come from going to a university that was that was full of people quite different from me. And baseball was just a thing that I found solace in. I I, I just enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the pace of it. I enjoyed the temperament of the players. The quiet. Uh, I found it really contemplative, and it was something that I found incredibly comforting uh, when I was a student. And I, you know, I had a few years away from the sport. I, I can't say I followed it really closely in you know the sort of late aughts and early sort of twenty tens, but. I, so I sort of started watching again around when the Red Sox won the world series in the 20 in 2013 and um and yeah so I, I um yeah and I I've I, I I'd, I'd done loads of sports stuff I, I love all sports pretty much there are one or two exceptions I'm a, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big football fan I'm a big cricket fan and I, I'd done some stuff with football and I'd done some stuff with cricket and I, I was kind of looking for a an avenue through which to carry on doing something around a sport that I was interested in and you know so this is about five or six years ago mm. and no, no one was kind of doing anything on baseball in the UK then you know there was the the old um bases loaded uh yep. message board and 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 that was kind of it really there was a couple of Facebook groups and uh, you know it was, it's it's interesting because you know we're, we're recording this on on uh the evening of the 31st of March and um, Richard Moore of the cycling podcast um, it was announced that he passed away yesterday and I really liked that podcast and, and I think I was listening to it a lot at the time I really liked the vibe of that podcast of the three friends on there I kind of thought there's nothing like this for for baseball in the UK you know we had Buster Olney or Effectively Wild all of those great podcasts that your listeners I'm sure already know there's no one doing it with a, a British voice so I kind of wondered about doing it for a couple of years and I I got in touch with a, a couple of people who I know who, who were involved in sports media who I who I know are a baseball fans and and at the time that unfortunately they just couldn't commit to it so I kind of forgot about it. Started following a few more British baseball fans on on Twitter mostly Red Sox fans, um, and yeah, just one one day plucked up the courage to say to one of them this this guy called Tom Pringle who is now the bane of my life. Uh, look, I've had I've had this I had this idea I've been thinking about it for two years. Uh, I really enjoy talking to you. Do, you do you fancy doing it and and he said said yes and and you know the the rest is that's all she wrote mate basically yep. and we picked up um initially Darius Austin um who uh, is very well known I know in British fantasy baseball communities writes the baseball prospectus uh, and Ben Carter and the four of us have been doing it for 6 years now and there's uh, then we've had Russell Isim and Rob Navera and um and Rachel Steinberg joined us as well. So yeah, it's, it's been great. Um, so yeah, that's how we started Batflips and nerds. That's where it came from. And, um, in terms of Red Sox fandom, well, you know, the, the timing is, is the thing here, Mark. So I kind of I've given away my age and the time that I became a baseball fan all in one fell sweep. So if I tell you that I started watching baseball in 2003, yeah. um, the story writes itself really. So, um, the Cinderella Red Sox of 2003, um, a year that you no doubt enjoyed. I didn't.
0: I, I've, I've kind of cast it from my mind and I can't remember at all what happened then. No, it's <laughs> gone
1: completely. Uh, yeah, you, me and Grady Little, Mark. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the 2003-2004 Red Sox were, were kind of my team. Um, so, yeah, all, all, all of that stuff that happened back then, that, that's how I became a, a Red Sox fan. So it was um, all the romance of, of, of them not having won it for such a, a long time. That Cinderella team that they had in 2004, where they were good, but no one really expected them to be as good as they were. You know, yeah. Dave, Dave Roberts, Gabe Kapler, Big Papi, Kevin Millar. You know, that team of that and Trot Nixon. That team of scrubs. I just absolutely loved them. And and uh, you know, I, I think I've I, I've stuck with the Red Sox because they seem to often have players like that. I absolutely like David. Dustin Pedroia is one of my favorite players ever. Yeah, I, I think they're just guys who who were sort of gritty, died in the wool, as opposed to the the sort of fancy dance that you get um, you get down the the pike in uh, in the Bronx.
0: Well, I'll look beyond that. I, I see what I see what you say <laughs> about Justin Pedroia. I really admire Pedroia, um, especially because you know he took a discount to remain with the Red Sox, and he was a real sort of blue collar second baseman. So he, he was one a player I hugely admired. Um, Okay, so basically, we've established that you were a glory hunter. Yeah, pretty in, much. <laughs> in, in following them from w- w- when they started to become good, after yeah, exactly. Look, 85 Mark, eighty-five years of hurt. So,
1: Mark, I'm a Carlisle United fan, right? I've, I've, got, <laughs> I've got, I've got, I've got to get my glory
0: somewhere, right? You know, I'm exactly the same. I follow Black Bulls. So I thought it was about time I followed a sports team that was actually fairly good. So that was my excuse for following the Yankees a little bit as well. So, so let's look at the, the, the 21 Red Sox. Um, we, actually fought, we actually finished with the same record as you guys. And we had a one-game playoff mm-hmm. at Fenway. Which you lost, which, yeah. Which you, we narrowly got beaten by. Um, then I must admit, I was quite surprised by how the Red Sox did. Re- Reaching the ALCS, I thought you weren't as good as that, I'll be honest with you. So did I. Thought I. Were, I, thought, I thought you overachieved a little bit you did as well yeah
1: definitely um I mean look I mean that 2020 was was a pretty brutal watch um if you I know obviously that season was very weird for every team but if you asked me to name half of the pitchers who pitched for the Boston Red Sox in 2020 and like remember it was a 60 game season I I would I would not pass that test some of the guys who they were running out there as starters let alone the the fellas in the bullpen yeah. absolutely absolutely extraordinary like i i genuinely couldn't remember the half of them so coming into 2021 it was it was to all intents and purposes for me pretty much a no expectation year you know that this and we'll we'll get on to 2022 as well it's is the best division in baseball i thought the red Sox are going to finish fourth and um you know they 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 went ahead and surprised everyone those those players who they signed effectively as as fill-ins guys like hunter renfro uh and Kike Hernandez, and uh on the pitching side of things we had uh, martin perez coming back who actually was one of the only players who was good in 2020 i just like, look you know we're, we're, we're going to probably finish third in the division but yeah they were they were much stronger last year than than i thought they would be some players who Sort of rode out slumps, and I, I know, I know, you want to talk about Bobby Dalbeck. He was one of them. He just looked it looked well overmatched the first half of the season, but he then did, didn't he was was absolutely brilliant in the second half of the season. And 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 Kike turning into you know an elite Gold Glove center fielder. You know, he'd have said that from a guy who I thought he we was signing to be a luxury version of Brock Holt, and he 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 looks like a guy who is a proper center fielder now, which is great. And I, I he's, we've got him for this season, and I hope he stays for. A fair bit longer. So last year, I was as surprised as anyone, Mark, um, with the way that the, the the things turned out for the Red Sox. But but pleasantly
0: so. How do you see the um, the, the pitching working out? Because obviously Chris Sale's gone down with an injury. Mm. I think he's out for a couple of months. Mm. Um, if anything, I'm sensing that that's the the weak part of this Red Sox team right now.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I did sort of tell a fib to say that I hadn't looked at roster resource. Like I did just to sort of remind myself and make sure that I didn't fall and didn't do any pratfalls today. And I am really quite worried about the pitching. Um, I think Nathan Avaldi is is probably the most not the, if not the one of the most underrated starters in baseball. For me, he's a, at least a top twenty-five starter. He's a genuine number one now. I think you wouldn't put him in the category of ace, but you know, I'm one of the sados that would say, "Oh, there are only about six aces in baseball." But I think Avaldi is a is a proper one, as opposed to when he was view, he was probably a three when he was at the raise, He was a two, so he is he is he is excellent. And if he stays fit, um, you're going to get two hundred very good innings. Of three and a half ERA pitching out of Avaldi. and after that, I mean, I don't really know, right? At the moment, um Fangraphs has Nick Pavetta down as our day two starter, which That's he was, worrying. yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was very good last year, much he better was, than actually, yeah. much better than I anticipated that he was going to be, and, and far better than anyone uh, this side of Philly ever said he would be. But then, so he's he's probably going to be fine. Um, I mean I'm I probably have more affection for 40 year old men that throw an 80 mile an hour fastball than any anyone but um, Rich Hill do you know uh, I mean I love Rich Hill <laughs> I, I really like watching Rich Hill but I, I just I just don't know uh, and Michael Wacker as well I mean he he looked better out of the bullpen uh, for the Rays last year and then you know Houck, uh, he's not like, for me he's just not starter I think he's a reliever I, I think he'll end up as a really elite reliever. Um, he doesn't have a third pitch. Can't th- his splitter just is a show me pitch completely, uh, and if people pick up, pe- people can pick pick up on his fastball very quickly, which means his slider, which is genuinely, I think, one of the better pitches in the whole game. It's like Josh Hader from the other side, almost unhittable. But it's only unhittable if you can set it up, and and his his fastball is just. 95 mile an hour down the pike. So I'd, I'm really quite worried about the starting pitching um, without sale. Um, I'm interested to see what they do. I think um, I think a lot of teams are going to do a lot of bulk pitching this time around, as opposed to uh, clear starting, at least to start the season. And I think that's a place where the Red Sox maybe do have a, 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 bit, a bit going for them. Um, so Garrett Whitlock can go a few innings. I know you don't want to talk about Garrett Whitlock. Um, and there's probably one or two others, Brian Bello, who's uh, one of our pitchers in AAA, Josh Winkowski, who we acquired um, from the Mets via the Andrew Benintendi trade. Um, I think they've got high hopes for him being one of those guys who can pitch three or four innings in relief or as a spot starter. So yeah, there's some pretty good guys at, at AAA. Uh, Connor Seabold is another who was the other part of the one of the biggest fleece trades of all time uh, for Brandon Workman from the Phillies alongside Pivetta. There's a lot of like quad A maybe guys at the moment, yeah. but yeah, Sale, Sale missing, and, and Eduardo Rodriguez having gone to um, Detroit leaves leaves a pretty big hole until James Paxton Touchwood comes back in mid season. Well, good luck with James Paxton. Um, yeah, good luck honest, with. You, <laughs>
0: because, um, <laughs> you think uh, if you can get any innings out of him, we are doing quite well. Um, yeah. I was surprised to let Rodriguez go. Um, because my memory of Eduardo Rodriguez was going back to the, the games at the Millennium Stadium and he was about the only starting pitcher out of either side hmm. who looked half reasonable throughout the whole weekend and I thought last year he came into his own a little bit I think he's a really good pickup by Detroit I was quite surprised he let him go
1: Yeah, he he um, he was really good last year he is one of the most frustrating. Like you know, you you'll have had these guys on the Yankees. He is the one of the most frustrating pitchers I've ever watched. Like you just you just never knew which Eduardo Rodriguez was gonna gonna be there. Like you know, at his best he was what he was for most of last year. At his worst, he just he he would he like so he again is a, is a three pitch pitcher who hmm. doesn't trust his changeup. And what l- l- if he didn't want to throw his changeup, he was just eminent and and he used to nibble the strike zone rather than trusting trusting his stuff, which he's got in spades yeah oh man there was some there was some inning some outings or I was just after about an inning he was he, and you could tell he has a real tell he'd get really really slow when he was when he was nervous and co- lacking confidence and if you he start the you know if you get to the second batter and he's shaking everything off it's just like this is gonna be two and a third innings uh it's gonna be absolutely horrible <laughs> so yeah it, he was but I still was I was I was sad to see him go but I, I think that the um the price that Detroit paid for him is is fair. Um, I think mm. if it had been a year later, you know, if you, the, the Red Sox have got a lot coming off the books with, with David Price and and JD Martinez's contracts going in the summer. I think he, they they'd potentially have taken him next year, but they've they've effectively got Waka, Hill and Paxton for the same amount of dollars per year as they would have had to pay for Rodriguez. And sometimes you just can't. You just, even a team of 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 the the scale and budget of ours can't can't quite have everyone, can they?
0: No, it's interesting what you described there about how you felt about Rodriguez, because how Yankees fans felt about Nate Evaldi when he was with us. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. You just it's...
0: didn't know what you were going to get. You knew the talent was there, but he would just straight the heck out of you. Mm. And I'm actually quite pleased, really, that he's doing well now. You know, I was pleased that he got he got paid. He got he got paid mm. by the Red Sox after he went those six innings against Houston in that um, playoff game. And it's the Dodgers, it's in the world. Genuinely, I think
1: one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen on a baseball field.
0: It it was really good, so I was really pleased for him that he got Mm. paid. It just didn't work for him at New York. Um, we've had a few like that pictures who come in, Sonny Gray is another one, they come in full of promise. It doesn't quite work, and we need to sort that out ourselves, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, he 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 looks just looks like a guy who believes in himself, right? You know, particularly back under Cora last year, just like he he. He's, a, he's such a strange guy Evaldi, I think because he's so massive but he, he looks so timid but like he kind of stopped that stopped happening in the 2020 season and particularly last year so yeah he's...
0: You, you, you mentioned Alex Culler there what yeah. difference him coming back because he set out obviously the 2020 season what difference him coming back in 21 did, did that make because I think from our side we've talked about Alex Cora on the podcast quite a few times huge respect for him in terms of his managerial skills, maybe not in terms of the past, but he seemed to uh, bring him all me, together. me for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, no me, honestly, Mark, um, I, I was very conflicted when he came back. I think, you know, ultimately I managed to uh, let my, you know, personal ethics be put to one side as we all often do in sports <laughs> uh, to cheer him on. Oh, it was night and day. Ron, the Ron Rennecke experience was, was, was not a happy time. Uh, bless him he was he was woefully out of his depth and just as soon as cora came in he's he's, he's got a bit of a he's just got no worry about him um and i don't know like i think so much about his impact on the team is unseen like or unknow- unknowable you know it's it's the it's the way he communicates to the players uh publicly and privately i think uh i, I mean he's clearly a very good coach he's clearly a very very intelligent baseball mind but there's just it, there's just a sort of a, a filial bond between him and the guys who are in his clubhouse which just it wasn't there under Ron Renekey it wasn't there under John Farrell I, it, like I don't I don't think it's been there under any Red Sox manager apart from uh, Tito Francona whilst whilst I've been watching the club mm-hmm. so yeah he he um he, he's a he's a very very special um uh, baseball coach that bloke and I hope he's the Red Sox manager for a long long time
0: okay so some of the players um Divas is excellent. Mm. I mean, I think he carried your team at, at times last season, 38 home runs, 113 RBI. He's clearly the the main offensive weapon that you've got. Mm. I, I'm intrigued by Bobby Dalbeck mm. because whilst he did come out in the end, he came out with 25 home runs. He did really well, but he's actually not that sure of his place because you've got Tristan Casas coming up, haven't you? Who could potentially actually usurp him.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, mean, I mean, talent, talent without, right? Um, so just to pick out, pick up on on Devers first. I, I mean, look, uh, people kind of forget that he exists, right? That that's the thing with Devers because he's not he's not the marquee star of the team. That's that's Bogarts, right? Bogarts right. is the captain in the same way that Judges in uh, in New York. It's Bogarts teams. So that and the fact that he has come through and was probably the first of a wave of generational players from the Dominican Republic to come through in Tatis and Acuna and Soto. And the fact that he's more understated than all of them and still looks younger than all of them, despite being the oldest of them all, just kind of means he gets a bit forgotten about. And there's this knock on his defense that I think is massively overplayed. He can get a bit lazy and and a little bit, um, kind of forgetting where he is, but he's he's very very good. Like he he he's, he's one of those guys. He fluffs routine plays and makes amazing plays. He's like. Yep. Uh, like the opposite of what you uh, you anticipate in terms of defense, like Bogarts is the opposite. Mm. So yeah, he is he is absolutely astonishingly good. I I think um, I really hope they extend him. Like there's there's a lot of talk that that's that's in the offing. I I, I really hope that they manage to get that done before the start of the season. So yeah, Devers is Devas is going to be the cornerstone of the of the Red Sox for for years to come. I hope. And and Dahlbeck and Costas is is really interesting. So Costas is. It is depending on who you ask, either the Red Sox number one, number two, or number three prospect, but he is definitely the closest to making an impact on the team. And he will be on the Red Sox at some point this year. And he's a first baseman, a first uh, primarily and only a first baseman. Mm. Uh, and Bobby Dalbeck is a first baseman at the moment, but he came up as a third baseman and can play second base and all in, also in the outfield. He's played all of those positions in the minors. So I think Tristan Kossos is is the future of the Boston Red Sox at first base. He has, depending on who you ask, a ceiling of Freddie Freeman and a floor of Trey Mancini, which, you know, that's going to be a very good baseball player for quite Yeah. It's good, going, to yeah. Be, going to be good at either end of that spectrum. Um, And Bobby Dalbeck hits a lot of home runs, but, is not that level of player. He but occasionally he still,
0: looks lost, doesn't he? Actually, yeah, I've seen him. Yeah,
1: he's still very good, right? He, I think he's a, he's going to be a good he's going to be a good major leaguer for quite a while, and um, whether that's as a utility player uh, with the Red Sox or or for another club. Uh, it, it remains to be seen, but he's going to be a, a country in one way or another. He's going to contribute to the future of the Red Sox, be that as a sort of valued rotational bench player, or as the DH, uh, if Martinez moves on after this year, or, or as a player who gets them something really good in a trade. Um, I, I was sort of convincing myself that they might, um, they might pick Freddie Freeman up this year and use Dahlbeck as trade by um, the story acquisition was slightly different, but yeah, that, I think either way, first base is going to be well covered um, for, for the next few years, I'm afraid to say. Did getting Trevor's story surprise you? Yeah, it did, actually. It did. I mean, it didn't surprise me insofar as it. this has felt like the start of a window where High and Bloom was going to start to spend some money. The big money comes off next year for the Red Sox. So, you know, that they, they were under the luxury tax for this year before they committed the money to story and have a lot to come off next year, as I said. So I think that they needed something, you know, with with losing um, losing the talent and the wins that they did in in, in the summer. Um, so in the autumn, awesome, sorry, so Rodriguez going, um, they lost a, a few pieces around. So Hunter Renfro uh, being sought for Jackie Bradley, which is a, a very odd trade. Not that I'm disappointed because I love Jackie Bradley, uh, but yeah, I, I felt like they needed something. Um, and it felt like a shortstop was the, the right place to go in the market that was uh, that was available this year. And, and Story felt like the right one, like he wasn't the one that needed 10 years and 300 million to get. So I was really pleased. The fact he was willing to play second base was was good. Um, is he a better second base? Is he a better shortstop than Sander Bogarts? Probably. But also, you know, back to the point earlier. Um, and you know about this, Mark. Uh, moving your marquee shortstop off shortstop can sometimes be a bit difficult. It, we, we, we've, had,
0: we've had some experience of that, yes. You,
1: uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah is good. He's a good player. He's a good defender. He's a good hitter. I'm very, very pleased he makes the team better.
0: And you've got some insurance in case Gotts does leave at the end of the season, I suppose.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, like, you know, Marcelo Meyer and Nick York, who are the other two guys who, depending on who you ask, are the Boston Red Sox number one prospect, are... Shortstop and second baseman, they're further away than Cossus, but um, they're they're both going to be very, very
0: good as well. Okay, so what I want to do is wrap up with, I want want you to give me your prediction one through five, rank them in order, who's going to finish where this season? How many places below the Yankees are you going to finish?
1: (laughs) So that's a good question, Mark. So I'm kind of tempted to say... Well, you'll have to listen to the Batflips and Nerds uh, Spreadsheet Prediction podcast, which we're <laughs> going to do on Wednesday, and which will be uh, available as an audio on Thursday. Um, but my, this is a, this is, my, and obviously there are three other th- three other people who push back against me there, Mark. So I will yeah. say this is my point of view, mm-hmm. and this is so hard. This is so so hard. Um, it's a tough I, division. It's a I, really tough division, actually. I think the Blue Jays will win the division, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think they have the best lineup. I think that's almost without question. Yours is probably nearest, uh, and their pitching staff is is very strong. Um, I think they've made some good upgrades, or at least netted out with what they had last year, which of course was was brilliant. Um, I think it's nip and tuck between you and the Rays for second and third, uh, and I think we are the f- by by not many games probably the fourth best team in the league. But, you know, if if it comes to, and then the, the Orioles are, you know, that's the only, that's the only position I can be absolutely 100% confident of. The Orioles are going to finish fifth, the AL East. If you said to me that any of the other four wins it, um, I think that's feasible. I think, unfortunately, the Red Sox have the least chance of those four.
0: Okay. What do you think might put them over the top to, to get above Toronto, in your view, then? What do they need? Uh, they need a better right fielder than Jackie Bradley
1: uh, and, and they need some better starting pitchers than a uh, 42 year old Rich Hill uh, and Michael yep. Wacker. So they need quite a lot, right? They probably need, uh, if not both Sean Manaya uh, and Frankie Montes, at least one of them or Luis Castillo. He'd also do. Um, and yeah. They need something in the outfield. I, 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 think you know. I, I love, I love Jackie Bradley, but I'd love Jackie Bradley more as the fourth outfielder on this Red Sox. And um, so mm-hmm. we'll see. I'm still interested. I still feel like there's going to be a few, a few flips and turns in in the next week uh, before we get to the seventh and and game start in earnest. And of course, the first games that we have are against each other, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Which is. Uh, is like, It doesn't always happen like that, does it? It's, you, no. you, they usually keep us waiting for two or three weeks. So it's uh, it's kind of nice that we get to the main event right away. It's just like kind off with a bang. I look at your pitching in that first two days, and it's like it's Cole Severino. I ah, just like, oh my god, rich. So that that I think the second is it the second game of the season where there's going to be the the watch along at, at Home Run House, which which I'll be at. I don't okay. know. Okay.
0: Nick Pavetta. You went Pivetta. to that, wasn't? You? I'll be Nick there. Pavetta yeah. versus Jordan Montgomery, probably. Yeah, Nick Pavetta making a, can't Yeah, see see making a start. To be honest, that early anyway.
1: Nick Pavetta and Jordan. Yeah, well, maybe that's not. Maybe that's a push. Actually, Jordan Montgomery is good, but so is Nick Pavetta these days. I'd still rather he was <laughs> number four though. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, um, so, spicy start, Mark, isn't it? It is a little bit. John, that's been great. Thanks very much for that. So. I'm sure unless people listening to this have been living under a rock, they've probably heard about flips and nerds and know where to find you, but just in case I'll give a little plug. Yeah, for sure. Um, the best place to find
1: anything that we do is, is on Twitter, which is at Batflips underscore nerds, uh, or our website, www.batflipsandnerds.com. We've got absolutely stacks of content going up there every day now, and we've got a load of writers and, and Gavin, our editor does a great job corralling all of that. Um, thing i would say uh we've done six preview podcasts uh one for each division we've got a writer from all 30 beats uh, they're well worth a listen even if you're picking this up a little ways into the season because i learned an awful lot doing uh, many of the interviews and editing the others so um yeah um give them a listen and uh really good to chat to you mark and um well, i would say good luck for the rest of the season that's the sort of classic sign off on these isn't it but but what would you
0: mean it no <laughs> <laughs> right back at you mate right back at you John that's been great and on behalf of uh, you know all our listeners we really appreciate what you're doing backflips and nerds it's great it keeps us entertained the content is very very good um, and long may it continue so thanks very much for for doing this that has been great no problem thanks Mark cheers